0: Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply.
1: Welcome into the Lions 24-7 podcast. Happy to have you back with us. Tyler Donahue, Sean Fitz bunch to get to. Once again, on this episode, we're going to talk about some interesting crystal ball development. Some new picks are in pointing towards Penn State that we are going to address one in the 2021 recruiting class, another in the 2022 recruiting cycle. And the 2022 class is something we're going to spend a little bit of time talking about this episode with some help from our mailbag. Of course, the five-star mailbag coming your way. Additionally, a conversation I have been teasing during the last few episodes. We're going to get that to you on this episode, Brian Stumpf, president of the Elite 11, had a chance to to be really involved, engaged with Christian Veiu for three days down in Tennessee uh, from June 29th to July 1st for Elite 11 finals. Hear from him directly on what him and the staff saw from Christian Veiu, where the positives are, where the work needs to be done, and what they think Penn State is getting in their 2021 quarterback commit. But Sean, we turn our attention toward another Penn State football preseason step toward a kickoff that we don't quite know how it's going to work yet. But July 24th, that's Friday through August 6th. This is the period where we've been saying the football comes out for some walkthroughs. I just know there's gonna be a football on the practice field at Penn State. That's far enough for now because it's something that we had not been able to say for so long.
2: Yeah, it's 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 just we go back to when it was announced and it seems funny when we talk about just bringing a football into football workouts and I guess that's where we're at right now. And, uh, yeah, I mean, that's going to start on July 24th and, and run a couple of weeks. Uh, first actual practice as we know practice to be, uh, supposed to be the, the, the week of, of August 7th. So, uh, I mean, getting closer. I mean, I'm not sure that, uh, I'm not sure where anything stands. I mean, there's been some, some rumors that the big 10 schedule would be out by the end of this week. I don't know that that's uh, completely going to happen, but that's, you know, basically when it's been tossed around. So, you know, if it's been if it's been rumored for this week, it it probably should be out fairly soon. Um, So we'll see what happens with that. Uh, As far as getting back into workouts and things like that, obviously, you got to keep your protocols, keep your testing up and keep, uh, you know, trying to stay ahead of the curve, and that's uh, been something that some schools have not been able to do. You saw last night uh, the Michigan State, um, by the way, we're recording on a Thursday in case we miss anything that happens on a Thursday afternoon or a Friday morning or something, as we usually record on a Friday morning, uh, but it, you saw Michigan State shut their workouts down with a staff member that came and tested positive. So, uh, you know, just avoid those little slip-ups and, and, and you'll be okay. For now, we saw some, you know, photos, some so just a very, a, a very, brief glimpse into what they're doing right now, uh, working out with masks in the weight room and stuff like that. I mean, that's basically what you got to go with. And you've got, uh, you know, you've got six hours per week, uh, of walkthroughs, uh, excuse me, uh, eight hours per week for weight training and conditioning right now. going to move to walkthroughs next week, but, uh, yeah, I mean, you, you just got to get back and sort of round yourself back into shape. And that's, uh, that's
1: really what July has been about. Believe it or not most of the players on this roster have have been back for about 6 weeks now and and th- this summer is has been a tricky one and and, and I know these guys are I have to imagine there are, are some severe levels of impatience and, and not knowing what the schedule awaits for them, not fully understanding what their season's going to look like while putting in this kind of work. And as you said, that photo gallery up on, on Penn State's website, um, you know, you, you saw those guys working, but they are wearing those masks. And I'm just thinking. Man, those workouts look difficult enough. Half of those workouts look difficult enough. Um, You throw in the mask, that's a lot to be going through. and, And you just wonder when these guys put their head on the pillow at night, you know, if they're wondering what are we working toward? Is there going to be a football season? It's got to be hanging over their head just as it is hanging over our heads, covering the sport, and, and the fans who hope to see this team play football. Um, you know, if, Since these guys got to campus, June 8th was the start of that phased return. A week later, they get into these voluntary workouts. Now, the, the, the non-voluntary workouts, mandatory workouts, were supposed to start July 13th but because of the the revision that the Big Ten did and putting out uh, the the conference only schedule and some other uh, impact on on their approach those are now technically deemed voluntary but as we know the, the team has reassembled. They, they've been putting in those eight hours for the last, you know, week and a half or so. Now it ramps up. Twenty hours. Uh, you're looking at eight hours in, in, in weight and training and conditioning, up to six hours for walkthroughs, and and that's what we're saying. There's there's going to be the use of the football finally, and then another six hours for meetings. That's film review. That's team meetings. That's positional meetings. That's one on one meetings. And and so to me, this is more so a staff uh, a step for staff communication because. After after really being relegated to these Zoom meetings over the course of months, and and particularly for some of the first year coaches like a John Scott Jr., Phil Troutwine, Kirk Shiraka, Taylor Stubblefield, this is a chance to get on the field um, and, and really try to communicate a- a- and and take a new step in that relationship. And as as Kirk Charaka, but specifically, is laying out his vision for this offense in a walkthrough format. I don't think that's anything to sneeze at. Uh, You know, it's been one thing to see them go from from one phase of the of the voluntary workouts to another phase of what's essentially the voluntary workouts, but this has always seemed to be a bit of a bridge toward the practice field. And it's hard to believe. You know, what do you say, August seventh? That's approximately two weeks away from now. We're thinking that they're going to be out there practicing. Wow, I mean that's that's you know this is all this is all kind of scheduled under the assumption that kickoff would be September fifth when they laid out this preseason plan by the NCAA. If they're not kicking off September fifth, if they're kicking off later than that, I don't know how everything is impacted in August. But again, these guys got to campus six weeks ago, and now we're saying practice is starting in two weeks. I don't know what we've learned in six weeks, but uh, full steam ahead, I guess, uh, from a football player's perspective. And so I guess you can only control what's going on within your campus, even as we've seen uh, various Big Ten programs hit and have to push the pause button on their summer.
2: Yeah, I, I, well, I mean, you've got uh, a couple different situations here. We <clears throat> practice, I mean, I don't know that it's going to be practice as we know it. James Franklin was on Ross Tucker's podcast last week and talked about the. Yeah, they're going to have sort of fragmented practices, not going to be the entire team. You know, you're going to keep, you know, even mentioned keeping quarterbacks away from each other, which is, you know, if that, you know, your quarterback tests positive, you're pretty well screwed. Um, So you you got to keep these guys away from each other. So I don't think it's going to be, you know, a full practice as we know it, full bore type stuff, but you know, you've, you've got to learn to adapt with it. You mentioned the zoom meetings a little bit ago. I think, I think those stay and I think those stay for the long term. And just basically from talking to people around the program, they've been, Probably more productive than they thought they would be, and this is something that we've seen. You know, these these players have adapted to not only Zoom for practice, or excuse me, Zoom for meetings with coaches, but also you know Zoom for classes and things like that. So you know, you've learned how to be productive from that angle, which is you know it's a it's a it's an acquired skill for you know probably a younger. Group of people. So it kind of works for the, uh, for the student athletes here. But, uh, yeah, I mean, you, you just don't know. The, the, the thing that I keep holding up with is, you know, something like Michigan State last night. I mean, anything can go wrong and, and just shut it down completely. So, um, you got to avoid those slip ups. You got to avoid those positive tests. You got to keep not only your players, uh, in line and healthy and, and staying within the system that you've. Built for them to stay in, but also your staff and the people around your staff, and that's that's a very tough thing to do. So, going to be holding on tight for a couple of weeks, and you know, as they get into this walkthrough, which is essentially going to try and make up for their spring ball. It's not spring ball, obviously, but it's going to try and make up for some of the stuff that they missed out, especially from an installation uh, perspective. And you you know, got to keep keep going. And and you did mention an, an important thing. The uh, August 7th practice date is based on that 9-5, you know, the September kickoff, uh, September 5th kickoff. I mean, we don't know where that's at considering a schedule. So that, that very well may change. But as of now, that's the target date.
1: As much as I'm saying, oh, the practice is upcoming. it we're in the entering the final week of July. We don't know when Penn State's first football game of the 2020 season is actually scheduled for such a bizarre set of circumstances. And and from a competitive standpoint, I think sometimes we forget about the, the competitive uh, aspect of this, that these teams are preparing to, to go out and try to compete and, and win a Big Ten championship or even beyond if that's possible this year. Uh boy, does this does this year out of all that I that I have ever encountered, does this one really you would desire a tune-up game or two at the start of your schedule, which is what you had with Kent State and San Jose State in weeks 1 and 3 and typically that's what you will see on a Power 5 schedule, couple cupcakes, maybe a, a really challenging matchup uh, out of conference in the mix like you had a trip to Virginia Tech, but and nope, it's going to be we know you didn't have spring ball we know summer was shaky and 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 we'll see how August goes but if they get into September and they're playing football it's here's your first Big 10 opponent the next one the next one good luck and go get it and and I think we're going to to see pretty quickly um just how much the absence from the football field and 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 the time away from staffs um, in-person and, and that communication that we see, particularly with, with, with teams like Penn State that have undergone some pretty substantial changes at position coaches. I think you're going to see pretty fast who's ready and who is just going to be kind of hitting the slip, slip and slide all season long.
2: Yeah, and we didn't even reference anything like uh, or make jokes about. I apologize. Uh, Rutgers being capped at 500 fans, uh, Syracuse doing the same. So this little movement across uh, across the country where fans are just you know going to be shut out. Clemson, you saw no uh, no or they're, they're going to start the uh, semester remote. Um, you know, there's just a lot of things that are that are piling up here, and that's uh, you know it seems. I don't know, it seems like we're going in waves here where you know there was some optimism and then pessimism and then maybe a little bit of optimism in the last week or so and you see these high school in states and things like that, uh, you know, sort of pushing forward with their schedules while others are shutting down. You mentioned Christian Veiu a little bit earlier. Bullis is not gonna have a season, so I don't know what's gonna happen with him and uh you know it's just the, there's just, there's so many different ways to go and you just kind of just keep holding out hope there's gonna be football and I, I just I, I keep going back to there's there's so much money at stake here uh, with these programs that it's, uh, it's going to be hard to turn down. I, I think there's going to be reasons to turn it down. And I, you know, I, I think some of those are good. Some of those, you know, you could go without, but uh, man, it's going to be a tough decision. And uh, I'm not, I, I'm fearing the worst, but uh, that also, you know, it just depends on the day really.
1: Just like everything with COVID-19, if you want to buy into a particular reality or another, it depends on who you ask about the subject, and that applies to college football as well. There is tremendous optimism from some corners that there's going to be football, don't worry about it. And then there are people who are saying, maybe we'll see football in the spring, maybe not, um, and forget about in the fall. Somewhere in between is probably where I'm, I'm landing and I'm just looking around me day to day and seeing where this takes us. And and we're doing our best to talk about it here on the podcast. But nonetheless, July 24th, uh, a big day for Penn State football in terms of taking a, at least a step forward and any steps forward at this stage. You got to appreciate them and savor them a bit because you're kind of uh, waiting for another step backward at times over the course of this entire process. And And I will say one month from Friday, one month from July 24th, That is scheduled to be the first day of in-person classes um, back at Penn State. I know they're going to be having a lot of hybrid settings, a lot of online courses, but that is scheduled to be the day when... Students are back mingling uh, on campus in in a different way, but for the first time since pre-spring break, and and that is a long span, and one of those hurdles that we said this Penn State football program, just as every program across the country, is going to have to find a way to clear when when all of a sudden the student population is, is completely back in town yeah assuming that student population is
2: completely back in town, I know that's an ongoing conversation, so uh you know, wait and see. I guess we got time, so that's good. we got time to wait and see, but that's uh that's kind of where we're at right now, and uh it's uh you know it's an uncomfortable sort of middle ground for us as we kind of wait to see if we you know <laughs> have some- have work to do to this fall and
1: or if we have to keep doing what we're doing now, which is kind of treading water so hopefully hopefully we got some work ahead of us. Uh, well, recruiting, fortunately, keeps on going and, and we got some recruiting coverage in just a bit. But I want to let you know, Judge Culpepper was on a call with us on Tuesday uh, with the media beat. Penn State's been great really th- through these four five months now, uh, weekly basis, getting us staff members, players, uh, guys to just kind of throw questions at. Um, and, and, and Judge Culpepper, this is really the first time that I think a lot of the media beat had a chance to catch up with him. He's a redshirt sophomore now, a challenging to hit the two deep at defensive tackle, but he's got a fascinating backstory. His parents, both on Survivor, he talked about that a little bit. Um, his father, of course, spent about a decade in the NFL, was a, was a Florida Gators star, um, discussed the progression that that he was able to make with his father's help. And additionally, he's got a new neighbor. He picked up a new neighbor during the offseason. Did you hear about this, Sean?
2: I did hear about that. <laughs> uh, yeah, everybody hears about Tom Brady when he moved yeah. to, to Tampa. Um, but no, it's uh, a judge is great. And and I applaud Penn State for giving us more than the usual suspects and and sort of, uh, by the way, Greg Kincaid is now the sports uh, information, I guess you usually call him sports information director, um, but he has replaced Chris Peterson, who took, uh, uh, you know, who moved up in the food chain. So good for her. Um, but uh, no, it, it, good for Penn State for giving us guys that just aren't the regular guys that are going to talk about the regular things. Judge was fantastic. I know Mark uh, Brennan labeled that as a must-watch. I do recommend you check it out. Judge is a great personality. He's got some great answers. Uh, Doesn't have much of a filter at this point. Maybe he'll get some coaching on that. Throw uh, throw
1: in a little bit of color along the way, consistently. in, the, in a good way. I yeah. mean, it
2: was entertaining. It was great. But it was just, uh, you know, I don't know if for the, you want the kids around for that one. But uh, no, it's it's great. And I'm, I'm excited to see what Judge can do, because this is a guy that uh, when I was talking to people before the shutdown, uh, when, when you talk about guys who had very good winters, uh, Judge was one of those guys. And, and it's interesting because a lot of the talk has been about Hakeem Beeman at that defensive tackle spot. And that's really the battle that, you know, we're looking forward to. You kind of got that first tier where you've got the starters and Mustafer and Shelton, and then you've got Fred Hanser, who's played a bunch of ball. So kind of slid him up to that third spot. And then that fourth and fifth spot, very intriguing with Pepper and, and Beeman in terms of, you know, I think those guys can both play and, and both give them some solid minutes and solid reps this year. So I'm excited to see what can happen. I mean, if you take a look at some of the, the verbal cues from, from James Franklin over the years, one of his phrases that he likes to go to is this kid, you know, will work himself into a player here. And that's a, that's a thing that Judge Culpepper, that's a thing that he said about Judge Culpepper in the past. And that's a thing that, you know, I think kind of rings true with, uh, with what he's able to do. Um, I don't know that he's going to be flashy. I don't know that he's going to be a guy that, uh, you know, is an all Big Ten guy or anything like that. But, you know, he certainly has the pedigree. He certainly has the work ethic to get there. And really, when you're trying to fill in those spots – not so much the starter spots when you're trying to fill in those spots in the back end of the, of the two deep. I mean, that's an important guy to have because Penn state likes to, I don't, you know, I don't know John Scott's personal preference. Does he go with four defensive tackles in there? Does he go with five or six? And I don't know where that's going to come from, but I mean, he's going to be a very important player for Penn state, especially, you know, as they run down the stretch and you're not sure what's going to happen or what this defensive, or or, I mean, what this team is going to look like if you, do have a guy that tests positive or something like that, but there's a lot of guys in that defensive tackle room. So you know you want to continue to to filter those guys through there, get them reps, and, and keep them ready. And I think Cole Pepper,
1: you know, is probably ready to to take that step. Yeah, the lot of these uh this 2018 class of the defensive line, it looks like a year for them to take a step. PJ Mustafer, we're talking about maybe going from uh, a a really uh, strong. Contributor to a guy who's going to be a starter, maybe vie for all Big Ten kind of honors, that level. Judge Culpepper going from a reserve to someone who we're going to see a lot more of. And then, of course, Jason Oway in that same class, his third year on campus, also redshirted like judge. Uh, vying for the starting job opposite of Shaka Tony on the defensive end position so a lot to look for from those third-year players that entire conversation with Judge Culpepper available up on lines 24 Uh we'll have some uh, some writing up on that too in, in the days to come and by the way Davis Islands where Tom Brady moved to he's taken over Derek Jeter's old place for now and and, and Judge Culpepper living there i lived there in fourth grade sean uh but a few blocks away from the bay it was, we did not have bayfront scenery we but we rented a house uh my dad was was operating a, a restaurant in davis islands and, and now i see brady's living there i found out uh, Culpepper's living there i guess we got out of, of the wrong neighborhood um but it was something that, that struck me and that was that was my uh blonde bowl cut days down in florida you should wow (laughs)
3: yeah how
1: about that I was
2: gonna make a comment but then you dropped the blonde bowl cut (laughs) I did not see that one coming yeah, should have kept that uh should have kept that house down there, but uh no, it's pretty cool. And like I said, Judge, uh, check that out on the site. Judge is, was fantastic. He's listed as the backup to PJ Mustafer on the official depth chart, just ahead of Beeman. Uh, I'm kind of curious to see, you know, where you go from there. I mean, we mentioned not sure what John Scott likes in terms of uh, of a rotation, but uh the, the third guy at the other spot, Damian Barber, no longer here, uh transferred to Austin P. Devon Ellis is in there, uh, Aeneas Hawkins is listed there, but I mean Aeneas Hawkins. Hawkins hasn't played. I think he's played one game so far. Joseph Dark was still a really uh, just a mystery in terms of what he is able to do. You know, physically, he looks fantastic, but, you know, he's still a little behind because he came from Germany and that's a tough transition to make. I don't really see one of those freshmen stepping in there, but, uh, you know, they've, they've got plenty of options to run through there. Uh, they're certainly not going to lack for, uh, for defensive tackles on, this, on the scout team right now. So we will see what happens with that position. Um, I, I think you know what you're going to get for the most part, but at the same time, you look lower in the depth chart. And a lot of times, you know, a lot of times this time of year, that's where we're looking. And that's, uh, that's an intriguing battle down there.
1: Colbert, by the way. Remember, he's one of those players who came in and transitioned to the interior, played a defensive end, tight end at the high school level. Actually played quarterback uh, through his sophomore year at the high school level. Um, has has Really looks like a much different player than the kid who committed to Penn State before his senior year of high school. And um, I, th- I think we'll get a chance to see a lot of him here in 2020, assuming football is played. Um, Sean, it's a conversation I've been talking about uh, quite a bit here the last few episodes. I'm glad we can finally share it. Brian Stumpf, a Elite 11 president breaking down Christian Veyu, who, as you just referenced, will not be playing a, a fall season at, at the Bullis School in Maryland. Unfortunate. I actually saw Brian Stump tweeted just a couple days ago that he feels like the, the position, the prospects most impacted. Um, by the lack of a fall football season and, and and potentially by the lack of overall a senior football season for a lot of these players is the quarterbacks. He says, you know, regardless of your competition, getting those live bullets 12, 13, 14 times over the course of your senior year, particularly applying all the offseason work that, that you put into your mechanics and, and and just, you know, you're increasing accuracy, trying to increase power, all the different stuff quarterbacks are, are, are fixated on. And more than anything, just understanding what a defense may be throwing your way and adapting to that he feels like that could set back the 2021 quarterback class quite a bit but before that all you know came to light uh we caught him uh, a couple weeks ago he was fortunate enough uh, we were fortunate enough to have him give us a few uh minutes And, and here's that conversation with brian on christian value the future penn state football quarterback this has been a football offseason filled with cancellations and postponements. But a few weeks ago, Elite 11 Finals, an annual event that features an invite only group of 20 quarterbacks, took place. It actually happened it outside of Nashville and down in Tennessee. Three day event. Christian Veiu was a part of that, future Penn State quarterback. Going to get a better understanding of the event. Certainly a different variety this year in 2020 with Elite 11 President Brian Stumpf. Brian, thanks so much for joining us.
3: No, yeah, a different year, absolutely. And uh, I think at the end of the day, it was certainly a, a kind of a different Elite 11 for us, you know, uh, first and foremost, not not going out and doing a full regional tour like we typically do. Um, and then just the, the culmination in the finals, you know, a three-day event in Tennessee, I think really it, it was kind of a... a back to the future sort of thing where I don't think we've done a, a finals event like that without some high level seven on seven and, you know, being part of the opening and some other things that we've added to it over the last five to 10 years, you know, so it really took us back to I'd say like the late 2000s um, when we were just a, a, much smaller scale event and it was in South Orange County and it was really just 11 quarterbacks and a couple service guys coming in to catch passes and things like that. So uh, it really gave us more time to focus with the kids you know, off the field and in the classroom and and just really dive down and and try to do our best to help them, you know, both on and off the field. Just, you know, it's been such a tumultuous year and and so much going on for, you know, adults like us to process. You know, I can only imagine what it's like for a a 17 or 18 year old kid. So we really did want to spend some time with those guys and and touch on a lot of important issues that have, you know, been going on in our society, you know, for the past uh, four months, especially for these kids.
1: The Elite 11 Finals was always a highlight for me on the national recruiting beat in my former job. Got to spend three different years uh, out with you guys, traveling, following along in the summer. But I know a lot of our listeners maybe aren't as well versed on, on the Elite 11 Finals, what it entails, what it's all about. It has produced ultimately several Number one overall NFL draft picks. Penn State's starting quarterback right now, Sean Clifford, uh, was in the finals back in 2016. But I know this was a, a different variation uh, than what we've seen in years past.
3: Yeah, I mean, going back, I've I've been a part of it. This was a, the 22nd year of the Elite 11 Finals, and I've been a part of the last 21. I got I got hired on at our company, uh, formerly Student Sports, now now Stack Sports, in in 2000. And our founder Andy Bark really started the Elite 11 um just to give an opportunity for for these kids that play this position which is the, the most difficult position to play in team sports and the most important position in team sports the most you know certainly scrutinized position in team sports just really give um kids an opportunity to get more coaching um and that that was the genesis of it and, and what it's grown to be is certainly uh you know really just an evolution from that and, and that's still always going to be the goal we want to really lean in with some kids and give them instruction both at the regionals and at the finals. But I think also through the competition, you know, the cool thing that we've been able to kind of see happen is you see kids set it as a goal and not just, you know, an off-season goal, you know, when they finish their junior season and towards their senior year and something they want to work towards. But we hear, you know, from kids that, hey, I first saw it when I was nine years old on YouTube or whatever. And it became a goal then. So we see kids, you know, and, it, and it's always important to have goals and things that motivate and inspire you. And so, uh, we've seen kids all over the country, uh, you know, set it as a goal or at an early stage and then really put in a lot of work. And, you know, ultimately, uh, only, only a select few make it, but we, we see kids every year at regionals that, you know, they might not be elite 11 finals kids, but they've made themselves a lot better, uh, by, by continuing to work through the off season and, and being motivated. And they go on to get scholarships at places and play college football and do a lot of great things. Um, with that afterwards. So that's that's been a really cool and rewarding part of it. And, you know, this year was absolutely <laughs> a different year. You usually we have a, a regional tour with anywhere from, you know, 10 to 14 regional events all over the country where you get to, um, after watching kids' junior film, you get to go out and see them in person and really match physical traits and coachability and, you know, uh, intangibles and things like that with what you see on the film. Um, so, so with this year, with only getting in two regionals before uh, the shutdown and the pandemic, the onset of that. Um, we, we worked back on a, on a digital submission. So I think we probably had another 450 or 500 kids. We were seen at the, the rest of the regional tours. And from that, we, we worked that list down to about a hundred or so, um, and, and sent a new request out to those kids to, um, uh, you know, film certain number of drills. Uh, we sent them kind of a mini pro day script that we would love to see them film, uh, questionnaire, questionnaire for their coaches, and just really tried to, to gleam as much uh, information as we could from them. Uh, but at the same time, obviously not being able to see them in person. So uh, that was really cool. And, and it's kind of a different way to, to get more um, insight on the, on the kids and kind of what makes them tick and, and hear a little bit more probably from their coaches than we do in the past um, as well. And then, and then ultimately um, see video of most of those guys that they sent back in of of the, the pro day throws, which we kind of asked them to, to do, uh, which is a, a, a script of about 20 throws and, um, you know, to be honest, we we probably saw as much uh, from that as, as sometimes we do at regionals. Just with the, you know, if you go out to a regional you've been doing before. When there's 80 or 90 quarterbacks, sometimes and your head's turning in every direction, you might not see that many throws from uh, a couple guys. So uh, I think from that standpoint, it was helpful. It's certainly not the same as, as seeing them in person, um, but it, I think given the, the the year and where we were at and where the kids were at and uh, everything going on, it was it was it was a a pretty good fallback situation to, to get to. And, and so from there, uh, we had three quarterbacks that had already been invited from the first two regionals that we were able to, to do before the pandemic shut down. And then, uh, from there, we, we filled out the rest of the field at 20. And, uh, you know, once we were, once we were able to fix the date for the finals, it all moved pretty quickly probably within a window about four and a half weeks where, uh, I think we sent out these submissions hoping (laughs) and, uh, you know, thinking that we might be able to do finals and then, I think the kids were probably in the same boat where they were like, okay, you know, I'll do this, but, you know, we're not really sure where it's going to go. But I think once that realization hit that we were going to be able to do it, you know, we we heard the excitement in the kids' voices. And um, I think it's all, always good to have something to look forward to. And I think for us as a staff starting to be able to plan that, and even though it was a much shorter window to do so, um, you know, you could see the energy in everybody and, and just the the excitement to, to get back and do, do something uh football-related for these kids.
1: It sure was nice to see something football-related actually come to fruition this summer, few and far between uh, in that aspect. When we look at Christian Veiu and the process by which you whittled down the candidates into these top 20 quarterbacks that you guys liked enough to invite and bring down to Nashville and take a closer look at, why did Christian make the cut and what exactly was on your radar there?
3: yeah absolutely and there's there's so many um, quality high school quarterbacks and quality college prospects I think we we probably went through you know the same issues that a lot of these college staffs are having right now where you, you you're trying to do the best with the information you have in front of you um and, and when you get down to the end of it and it's the same again for the, the college guys and they have a little bit more of a system that they'll try to fit guys to obviously but you know when you get out of you know in each class there might be a top you know, four or top six or a certain tier where, you know, I think most programs in the country would, would give their, you know, their left arm to, to get guys like that onto their college football team. Uh But then when you get, you know, there's, when you get down to the guys that are power five caliber guys, you're really talking apples and oranges and who fits better and what systems and things of that nature. And, you know, the more you're able to learn about them, you might be able to create a little more separation, uh, especially as it relates to their mental makeup. But there's so many physically gifted kids out there and, you see that every year when you get to go out and, 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 uh, watch these guys at the regional camps and this year through the digital submission. So, so many talented kids. It's really hard at the end. Um, I think with, with Christian, um, he, he really first popped on our radar, um, last year, actually, when we did the, the Ohio regional at Maslin, um, and, and he was actually the, the quarterback MVP at that regional as an underclassman, which isn't very common. Um, he's a big, strong kid. Six, four. I think we weighed him at, in at exactly 200 pounds when he checked in for the finals. Um, and you love his, his story and his journey as it relates to, you know, being a, a Canadian, um, and, and seeking out competition the last couple of years and coming down and playing in the States and, you know, first at Canisius and then even going to a higher level of competition last year at Bullets and, um, playing against, you know, some really good teams and some really good players and other, other programs that have a lot of D1 kids and things of that nature. I think, um, he's a lot more, Battle tested than he probably would have been um, staying home, but his his physical physical ability and his arm talent uh, to throw from a clean pocket, especially is is you know really top end of this class. I think we saw that last year at the regional, um, and then we saw that again with the the submission tape that he sent in this year, um, working out with some of his guys up there in Ottawa. Um, that he was able to get access to during the during the shutdown. So uh, I think he's a he's a certainly a very physically talented passer um, and, and somebody's got a lot of a lot of upside as he continues to develop the rest of his game.
1: Since you have been on the Elite Eleven staff for more than twenty years, you're you're often my historian with this event. I, I come to you with questions about years past, and and one here is: Has there ever been a Canadian quarterback? who has reached this level of the competition or is Christian Veiu kind of charting his own course?
3: I can't recall (laughs) too many. Um, And certainly he's the first one to make the finals. I think that that's, that's always the thing that's hard to put in context is the level of competition. You know, so you get, you get some highlight tapes and it used to be YouTube, uh, especially for for Canadian quarterbacks. And we've had quite a few come to, to read those over in the past years. And, you know, You know, being a Jersey guy, there used to be a good Canadian contingent that would come down when we had the the old NFTCs at Rutgers and um, certainly the Ohio camps and things like that. You you get a lot of good, good prospects to come down. But they aren't, first, they aren't usually quarterbacks. Um, They're usually position or skill guys. Uh, Sometimes you get some good D linemen. Um, But it's it's hard to put into context because you see the different, the different style of offense, obviously, that uh, the schools play up there with Canadian rules for the most part. Um, and, And one, you wonder how it translates. And then, too, the level of competition is always something that's really tough to gauge from a film. So, uh, I think we've seen some physically talented kids in the past. Um, Michael O'Connor certainly stands out as one um, who was another Penn State signing who went down, I think, and played his his last year or two at IMG. Actually, uh, who was a Canadian. And he he was probably um, off the top of my top of my head the, the guy that went the furthest in terms of you know how we discussed and you know probably in the top 30 or so for you know if we took 20 guys for his year and quarterback he was certainly discussed you know in those final meetings uh but there hasn't been there hasn't been too many um that certainly got to that that part of the stage and you know Christian being the first to actually be selected for the finals
1: You and your staff, I'm sure, faced some challenges from a logistical standpoint with travel, considering the circumstances all over the place, but we're talking about an international journey for Christian Veiu. I know that took a bit to overcome, but once he was actually feet on the ground there in Tennessee and you got a chance to see him in some drill work, what were you, Trent Dilfer, uh, other members of the staff coming away from and talking about in regard to Veiu? I mean, he can, when it's
3: when it's clean, uh, he, he throws the ball as well as anybody in this class. And, and I don't think there's any question, especially the first day, you know, and we, we asked them to do some, some hard things this year. Um, at the finals, granted, there was no seven on seven and things like that, but, uh, the pro day script that we do is, is challenging. And then the, the target slash conditioning challenge that we created the last day kind of out of thin air was, was even more physically challenging. Uh, I think the first day when it was, when it was a lot of drills, a lot of teaching, um, Christian threw the ball as well on, and I always want to say Friday because I'm used to going Friday, Saturday, Sunday, but on Monday night, uh, he threw the ball as well as anybody at the camp, uh, out of the 20 quarterbacks and had three or four coaches of our smaller staff of six come up and say, wow, this kid is, is really popping tonight. So, um, he's, he's where he's going to, you know, need to, to create, continue to work is, is just playing on the move. Uh, planning chaos and, and that stuff kind of came out a little bit more probably in the last few days where we do make them move around much more. And, and they're, like I said, they're challenging throws. It's not, it's not easy. And, you know, one of the things that probably irritated me more, <laughs> more than anything else was running the IG live on, uh, Tuesday and Wednesday during the competitions and just hearing, you know, uh, fans off about, you know, kids missing throws. And I don't think anybody, Um, who doesn't have a little bit of nuance with the game understands how, how challenging some of the stuff, uh, was we were asking him to do, especially with no off season, really. You know, these guys have been at the mercy of whatever fields they can get access to and certainly not working with their normal high school coaches and having spring practices and, um, you know, even private trainers that some of them traditionally work with. So we knew going in, a lot of these guys, uh, were going to show rust. And I think that that came out more as the the competition went through and, and working out. Uh, three days in a row, but, uh, he's, he's a clean passer. He's got a beautiful stroke. Um, uh, it's compact. He's, he's very accurate when he's, when he's all set up. Um, so I think those things really shown the, the first night. Um, and, and just continuing to work on how he plays in chaos. And, and you saw a little bit more on that in his junior film. He did make some good plays on the move. Uh, he is, he is a, a sneakier probably run threat than people are going to give it credit for when he does pull it down. And he, he's a big kid and he's going to get bigger. Uh, but he he can deliver the football and, and put it right where it needs to be when he has time.
1: That sneaky athleticism is something that we've discussed about Christian Veyu's game. And let me ask you this. There are quarterbacks who maybe excel when they have to improvise, which is, you know, it sounds like maybe something that, that Christian will need to work on, but when they're given time in the pocket, they may be finding difficulties from a mechanical standpoint, from an accuracy standpoint, and it just doesn't come together for them from that platform, starting off without foundation and knowing athletically what he can maybe build off of that beyond the pocket when forced outside of his comfort zone. Is that a starting point that, that maybe is advantageous uh, for an incoming college freshman? I
3: think so. I mean, I think, you know, and, and, the, the toughest thing with camps is obviously to to evaluate guys that are more of, you know, the the dual threat um, or maybe athletes first at this stage. And, you know, the the passing might come in time because uh, there certainly aren't drills um, to simulate much of what they can do with their feet, the damage you can do with your feet <laughs> in a camp setting. Um, so I think that really also goes back to systems and fit and, and you know, which school kids going to and, and what that offensive coordinator wants to do. You know, I think the, the passing for us has always been the the separator as it relates to great. There can be a lot of guys that can be really good quarterbacks in college and still not maybe have a, a clean stroke and be a great passer, but there's so many other things they do to threaten the defense that it it creates a lot of big windows in the passing game. And you know, they don't have to be <clears throat> right on the face mask. They, they just put it on the guy's body and he's going to be able to make the play for him. And just as you go farther in football, those windows are going to get smaller. So <clears throat> I think... With, with Christian, you know that if you can block it up on third and eight, he's going to be able to make a throw for you. Um, so I think that's a great thing to start with and then work back on the other stuff. But again, it's always going to come back to where they're going and what that OC wants to do. Um, and then, you know, the other part is, is how many reps they're going to get and what's the kind of the developmental plan for the, the younger quarterbacks. And that's been the, the thing that's a kind of a blessing and a curse with where college football is going right now is there's probably less development because the coaches all have such a short lifespan <laughs> and know that they have to win now. So they just want to get the starter ready. But at the same time now with grad transfers and other things of that nature, there are more opportunities for the best quarterbacks to get on the field eventually. So, you know, I think it's a, both a blessing and a curse and traditional college football fans probably don't like the the transfer movement, but I think it's better at the end of the day that the best quarterbacks are eventually going to play and it might not just be where they originally signed. So,
1: One more question to toss your way regarding Christian Veyu, and and that is looking long-term. That's what you guys are all about at Elite 11, setting the stage for a development into college development at the NFL level, ultimately a lot of success stories. What is your projection for Veiu's development moving forward and is there any past Elite 11 participant that you feel like you can draw a line toward, make some kind of comparison?
3: Yeah, I mean, comparisons are tough. I, I really like him, again, as a college prospect, um, just because that arm talent is, is already there and you're going to be able to build and work on the other stuff. And um, again, I think as he, as he packs on some more muscle, he's going to be a, a sneaky runner. A little bit like Sean Clifford, you might not be quite as, quite as shifty, but I think straight line speed, might end up being, uh, very comparable there. And, and a guy that, you know, if he's eventually 225, 230, is also going to be able to move the, move the pile a little bit and, and do some of the stuff that, you know, I think most college programs want their quarterback to contribute a little bit in the run game just so they can, they can threaten the defense that way. Um, uh, comparison wise, that's, a, that's a, that's a good one. Um, off the top of my head, you know, it, it's hard to hard to pinpoint. He certainly has a different and unique background, right? <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> Where you can't say, Yeah, he grew up in, you know, Northern California like this guy and worked out with the same private quarterback coach and you see similar things in there might might be their footwork or their release and things like that. So he's really unique from that standpoint. Um but I think when you go back and, and you look at um uh, pocket guys that have been successful in the last few years in terms of um uh, coming up and they played in the same area. Everybody always wanted to call Dwayne Haskins a, a dual threat guy, you know, really cause he was black and they didn't do any kind of research and actually watch his game. I think they played in a similar area, high school football wise, and really their, their statistic lines are kind of comparable. I think people were worried about Dwayne Haskins completion percentage a little bit coming out of high school where he was right around or a little bit sub 60% didn't run a ton um, and played in that private school, Maryland. Um, uh area and league that that christian's in the same in the same uh, level of competition and um that's a good one because they both at the end of the day they throw the ball really well um and i think the other stuff's going to come along with it um and you know the question is 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 christian going to be able to rise to the great level of competition like dwayne did when he got to ohio state and was in this quarterback room with jt barrett um joe burrow other guys that were coming in behind him and you know that 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 um, those quarterback battles and battling for playing time and battle for reps really is something that helped Dwayne um, develop and continue to develop. And, you know, when he got on the field, obviously did great things. Um, so I think, you know, they might not look similar, um, but from size and comparables and, and things that they're doing right now at the high school level and in and, uh, relative similar levels of competition, uh, that's one that maybe um, I can tie kind of a parallel to.
1: Let's finish with a look in the rearview mirror, back to that 2016 Elite 11 class. It's one that, at the end of the day, Tua Tagovailoa stole the show. He was the MVP, and and everyone got to know a lot about him with Alabama, but you had some big names out there. Jake Fromm, uh, Tate Martell, Dylan McCaffrey. Sean Clifford fit in quite well with that group, from what I recall. Penn State fans very familiar with him now as a second-year starting quarterback with the Nittany Lions, but... What did you see from Sean going into his senior year at the high school level that kind of encouraged you that this could be an outcome for him? And and what are some traits that still stand out four years down the line?
3: I think we always loved Sean's just competitiveness. Um, you mentioned there were a lot of big names in that class. There was there was zero flinch from him. There was zero back down. Um, I think he he always believed in his ability, and he was he was talented. You know, unfortunately, just given the, the the high school he was at and the amount that they let him pass and didn't pass, and you know things what they did with their offense, and then also being injured and and things like that, sometimes throughout his high school career, he didn't really get a chance to put up you know the numbers that some of those other guys did and, and kind of receive those level of accolades and things of that nature. But when we saw him in the competition, you know, first at the Elite Eleven Finals and at the opening that year, I mean, there was there was really never any question that he belonged in the top eleven, certainly, and you know probably even on the top half of that eleven if he went through the competition and, you know, did everything he did at the opening finals
1: as well. Brian, it's always great to hear you dropping the knowledge on the next wave of college quarterback stars. We'll see if Penn State found one in Christian Veiu. Only time will tell. Thanks so much and, and boy, do I hope to see you in person on a football field somewhere in twenty twenty one.
3: Absolutely. Thanks, Alex.
1: Excellent insight from Brian Stumpf. I would expect nothing less. We have a story up from last weekend on Christian Veyu at the Elite 11 with these thoughts from Brian, filling in the blanks on a few other storylines that accompanied Veyu's trip to Tennessee and, and what's ahead for him uh, with Kirk Shiraka and this offense for the Nittany Lions. We're going to take a quick commercial break, get back to you real soon. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. We turn our attention back to the recruiting trail now, and there were a couple crystal ball updates that popped up this week that certainly caught my attention. I know they caught Sean's attention, and, well, we were involved in those crystal ball picks as well, but let's start with the 2021 cycle. That's in focus right now. Penn State with 13 commitments. Looking to see what they're gonna get done, how they're gonna get it done without these visits. And suddenly Kelvin Gilliam has become a very compelling summer storyline for Penn State fans, Sean. He is a guy who has been, you know, near the top of the list, that wish list for Penn State in the 2021 cycle. But for a long while, in, in discussions with him and discussions on the show, we were talking about him wanting to get those official visits, maybe deciding in early December after his senior season. Things have changed. He's not having a senior season this fall. Virginia has canceled high school sports, uh, has has canceled that season. That includes um, you know, his his squad there at Highland Springs. So that's off the focus for the fall for him. And additionally, official visits sure don't seem promising for the season in college football. And as a result, uh, collectively, he decided with his parents, he's going to get a, a decision out of the way before September, August 22nd, his mother's birthday. The countdown clock is on, but a decision is not made. I, I you know you hear a lot of things. I, I got some phone calls. I know you were doing some digging, having people reach out to you probably as well. And the initial thing I heard when he put out this this commitment date was that Oklahoma was in a great spot. Um, but then also Steve Wilfong goes and puts a crystal ball pick for Penn State in. And I always say whenever Steve does it, it feels you know like it comes with a significant amount of authority. And so he put while on vacation, mind you, puts in a crystal ball for uh, Gilliam to Penn State Oklahoma has a crystal ball or two from from the Sooners insiders on twenty four seven sports, but I actually just went right to the source on Wednesday evening and talked to Kelvin Gilliam for about fifteen minutes. Sean, no decision is made. I mean, there was I don't think this was a poker face thing. He just wanted to set a date. They wanted to get this thing rolling and kind of put some pressure on himself. Almost it sound like to, to to gather as much information as possible, come to a decision. He mentions Texas, Florida, South Carolina in that mix of teams that have been very consistent, but it really does feel like what we've heard. Penn State is in there, Oklahoma's in there, and out of all those schools he talked about, one has actually physically hosted him on campus, Penn State in January.
2: And I feel like Penn State and Oklahoma both probably feeling pretty good about where they stand right now. He's got an entire month and that's a, that's going to be an agonizing month for him. And, uh, it's, it's, it's good to have a decision date out there, but when you put it out there this far in advance and give yourself time to talk yourself in and out of things, that's a, that's a tough prospect to do. Steve Wilfong put in his crystal ball for Penn state this week. Uh, I talked to Steve and you know, the reasoning behind it. I mean, a lot of people think that Kelvin Gilliam's going to Penn state. Um, and it just you're right it does make sense with the, with the logical pick he's been on campus I think uh, like I think he said the right things to Oklahoma as well our Oklahoma guys uh, on, on the 24/7 sports network seem to feel pretty strongly that you know he's going there uh, still still there's still work to be done on this one in terms of, of both sides of this and and our side as well just to continue to to gather facts and figure out where we stand um, I'm I'm still on the fence right now I, I think Penn State is in a pretty good spot but I you know, it's tough to, to, to make that pick because there's so much that comes with it. So, uh, you know, I think it, it is one of those two schools right now. What he mention, Texas. Uh, South Carolina
1: uh, so, and Florida.
2: Yeah. And, and and those those are schools that he's built a relationship with. I know South Carolina is also in the in the top five for Demon Harmon, as is Penn State. Uh, but Harmon looks to be. And Oklahoma. To, and yep. Yeah. But Harmon looks to be pegged to Oklahoma when he announces uh, he's a high school teammate. He announces on August 1st. So, you know, that that may have some sway in it as well. So uh, very uh, there's a lot of intrigue in this one because, you know, number one, uh, Kelvin Gilliam is probably going to make everybody feel good about themselves when he talks to him. He's a great kid. Uh, I know you've talked to him a couple times on the phone and come away very impressed with his uh, with his character and the way that he's been able to announce, uh, me, answer questions and, and get on top of things. So, you know, that's sometimes that's what happens in this recruiting game is you run into nice kids and nice kids make everybody feel good. Feel good. So uh, we'll we'll see where it goes in the next month. I expect some twists, some turns, and some some other stuff. And we'll see where uh, where Penn State and Oklahoma stand. I, I do think it's one of those two schools. And you know, no disrespect to the other schools that he mentioned, uh, but you know, he's he's been, he's been recruited one of those. Forty-seven package deals with with Caleb Williams. He's been mentioned as one of those, but at the same (laughs) time, he has been on campus at Penn State. Was very impressed when he visited back in January, albeit with Sean Spencer as your defensive line coach at Penn State. So you know he's got to sort of forge a relationship from afar with John Scott Jr. and and that's got to be something that's probably critical down the stretch. Now. Also, on this one, you look at where he's at, and that's become J. Wan Sider's territory down in that Richmond uh, area. And, uh, you know, that's the obviously a nice ace to have uh, in Penn State's back pocket. And James Franklin's on this one pretty heavily as well. Um, you look at what else is out there, still expect Elliott Donald to, to commit to Pittsburgh on Friday. Um, and, you know, you, you just got other guys like George Rooks still on the board, Davon Townley at defensive end on the board out in Minnesota. That's another interesting situation there. Um, by the way, just moved into the top 247. I don't know if you saw it this week, but Tony Grimes we had reclassified into the um, 2020 class. I don't think North Carolina fans are particularly happy about that. I think they dropped a couple of spots in the team rankings and uh, yeah, it's just uh, an interesting, uh, it, it's just, you know, you see something new every year, but now we've seen about 20 new things in this cycle. So um, just sort of riffing on there, and I think that's really where things have gone with targets that may make a decision now
1: or, or targets that may feel that ripple effect of a decision that comes in July or August. You see something new all the time these days, Sean. You hear something new all the time. And that happened with Gilliam. You know, I get to the end of that conversation. I'm thinking, okay, so he's never actually spent time in person with any of these defensive line coaches at the team facilities that he is going to end up, you know, committing to one of these schools. And, this is a really good talent this is a kid who, who should not be feeling any pressure to to run into a, a uh, you know a class although he did say part of the motivation here was he felt it was important to claim his spot in a recruiting class b- before it, it goes poof and I don't know how many programs are turning their nose up at, at Kelvin Gilliam you know watch the film again talk to the kid it's a good good blend of, of, of blue chip right there and I think with Gilliam a couple things here. You mentioned that Sider's involved, Brent is involved, John Scott has been involved. They know of each other going back to his days at South Carolina. That relationship has, has certainly intensified since he came to Penn State and this recruitment picked up. But he's been speaking highly of John Scott since I first spoke with Gilliam the first week of April, and that's been consistent over the course of these months. But yeah, you mentioned Franklin taking on a role, and I think that's pretty notable here because he said, really, it's it's it definitely is Franklin at the forefront of this recruitment now. He says, uh, very consistently hearing from James Franklin. And when the head coach gets involved in, in this way, you know, this far out of the commitment date, it's not just the night before uh, trying to make a final pitch. You know how important this this target is for Penn State, I think. And and I, I know a lot of folks are are, are maybe wondering what, what John Scott's about as a recruiter. We've talked about this before. You know, when Gilliam was on campus, Sean Spencer was still around. And, and I'm sure Sean Spencer intended to be around this time in 2020. But then an offer rolled in from the NFL, and he decided it was time to move on. And so by the ch- time John Scott gets here... We're about two, three weeks away from the shutdown. He can't get anyone on campus. And and here you are. I think it's a big help to have James Franklin step in, someone who has been at the forefront of one of their visits before. And 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 they have really worked on the parents in this process. Earlier, I think, you know, a couple months ago or so, we saw a Penn State Graphic congratulating them on their anniversary that doesn't go out to every recruiter on your database.
2: Yeah. And uh, Deion Barnes also getting involved here um, as he's become more visible on the trail in terms of, uh, you know, recruiting defensive linemen. So yeah, it's going to be, you uh, mean, interesting last month of this recruitment. Like I said, I don't know that this one, um, you know, is over in either direction right now. And, Probably both staffs have a reason to feel good, and that's why we see some, you know, internal struggles on our end. And, uh, you know, we'll see what happens in the next month. And a big, big target for Penn State, especially, you know, it, it, when you talk about the the hit rate that they need to have down the stretch to, to, to sort of uh, revamp this class and figure out where this class, uh, you know, can stand versus where it will stand. That hit rate needs to be up, and, and Kelvin Gilliam's a big uh, big part of that.
1: Can I mention one more thing from this call that stood out and it's not necessarily related to what he picks August 22nd, it's more so what can happen beyond that commitment date. If the NCAA finds it, uh suitable to uh, reinstall official visits whether that window comes during the fall or or down the stretch a few weeks leading up to the december early signing period i don't know just hypothetically if official visits are reopened he wants to use he wants to use those to explore campuses And, and and his logic makes plenty of sense to me he says 2021 prospects deserve that opportunity to use official visits, whether or not they already chose a school. And I know people are going to say, "Well, Franklin, uh, we hear all about this policy of when you commit, you're not visiting other schools or you're not in this class." I don't know how Franklin, and, and that's just not that's not only unique to, to Penn State and Franklin. That is something that a lot of coaches try to instill, and if you have the clout, it helps you be able to instill that more. But. It, I don't know how that can be enforceable right now. I don't know how you can you know, tell a kid straight up in his family, like you chose us during a time when we we're in a global pandemic and there's no official visits available. Now you want to go check out a couple campuses that you couldn't get to on your own or afford financially to get to on your own. Now that window's open. Wouldn't you prefer almost that they go make sure that they are are on board rather than coming with resentment in their heart towards the staff? and And that's going to stick with them. I don't care who the player is. I just feel like this is a year where you kind of throw some of those parameters out the window, you know, and, and he made, a, it's something that I haven't heard from a prospect yet. He just says those open up. I don't, you know, whether you chose a school or not, I committed to a school or not under normal circumstances, I would have committed to that school. Cause I already made four or five official visits, did my homework and landed on that school. I'm doing it now because we're in a pandemic and there are no visits, but if visits pop up in November or December, you better believe I'm going to be encouraging myself to go and make the most of those and maximize those just like every recruiting class before me. And I can't fault anyone for that. And I know it may ruffle some feathers down the line when you see committed players visiting other schools, maybe even within the big 10 conference, but you don't have a heart if you can't see why that makes sense this cycle.
2: Yeah. Those 2021 kids have just been thrown for a loop in terms of what to expect in their recruiting process and what they've been able to do. It's certainly a big gray area because I mean, let's be honest as a staff, You're going to discourage them taking those visits. There's no doubt about it. I don't know that you can step in and say, all right, well, you're out as you know, is not that they do that in the first place. But as you sort of, you know, I think there's levels of discouraging the visit. And uh, I mean, it's just that'd be a very tough conversation to have. Uh, Like I said, I don't think Penn State's in a spot, even if they did open up visits and things like that, I don't think Penn State's in a spot where they're going to find themselves losing a bunch of guys down the stretch, um, You know, taking other visits, what have you, um, because of, of the process in which they, they brought these kids on you know, sort of laid out the expectations and that's a big thing is is laying out the expectations before you commit as we're gonna talk about a twenty twenty two kid uh, who's announcing next week uh, but it it's it's a very tough conversation to have. it's a it's it's very so I mean, it's pretty cut and dry in terms of what they expect but you're right this 2021 class has not had a chance to have an official visit yet i mean this is that like nobody has been able to do that and and when you take official visits out of it um that's one thing when you take all visits out of it that's that's another i mean these guys have not had the ability to do the on campus research they need to do i mean talking even just like face to sitting face to face with a professor for your pr- prospective major or just you know hanging out with the players in the players lounge that's a big part of of, of these decisions to a lot of these kids is that fit and that feeling and we talked about it uh, I think last week Penn State's one of those spots where you need to sort of acquire excuse me, acquire that feeling. And, and, you know, that's kind of how it's how it's gone for this cycle. So um, we'll see how that develops in the, in the next uh, coming months. Because I, I, again, I don't expect visits this fall. I think it's, uh, you know, a huge undertaking. And unless you, you know, figure out if there's a certain number that you can take or figure out if you can take just officials and not officials, I, I don't know how it would possibly work out. I think there's, Sort of positives and negatives to everything, but the negatives will end up overriding the positives. So, I uh, don't know how that's going to work out. But I, I agree with you. I think, I think you kind of owe it to them. But at the same time, I don't know that it's just going to be a free for all if visits do happen to open up in a window down the road. Well, in this cycle
1: of all cycles, though, Sean, I just don't know how a coaching staff. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. How, how, how? Human perspective. I mean, that's the but, thing. How, how can you, here's the other thing, though? How can you justify saying? look, Kelvin, you committed to us. We're going to need you to stay here. We know this is the only campus you've been to. It's going to be the only campus you're going to get to. And 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 we need you to stay with that. But we got Maliki Matavao and Amari Daniels coming in because they haven't had a chance to visit yet. So if you don't mind, we're going to have those guys. And if you could recruit them, you know, you can't you can't have it both ways. And I know Penn state's going to want to be able to host players. If official visits open up, that's important for them. Uh, Hey, you got to This is a, this is a cycle to make some concessions in a lot of ways from a football perspective. And I think that has to be one on the recruiting trail. And, The communication is important between coaching staffs and recruits, and and that popped up in a big way last Friday as Jerry Cross was on the verge of becoming Penn State's first 2022 commit, the tight end out of Milwaukee, Wisconsin. We talked about this in the last episode, Sean, something that at Penn State sounded like they would prefer for him to sit on that decision and think about it a bit more. I guess he's done his thinking because he has announced next Tuesday a decision is coming, and... Is this commitment number one for the Nittany Lions in 2022? Uh, I mean, I, I think so. I put in my crystal ball for Jerry
2: Cross. It, it's it's interesting. Uh, it's a situation that popped up last week, and we talked about it on the first episode of the week. Um, it's a situation that popped up where it just kind of came out of nowhere. And And as I mentioned, commitment conversations are more than one conversation. So you can sort of take in... I mean, there, there's levels of the relationship that you have. Tyler Bowen and Ty Hal have, have handled this one to Penn State. I mean, I, I don't know that Franklin even talked to the kid before, you know, he he wanted to commit. Now, that's obviously, don't quote me on that, but that's just kind of how this thing works, is that, you know, when you talk to 2022 kids, you know, you sort of build the relationship out. You can't just call them up on the phone because of rules. You can't do that until um, their senior year, September 1st of their senior year. So it's, or excuse me, their junior Um and it's, interesting because there's really no right way to go about this. You you don't want to take a commitment from a guy that you don't know, that you don't have a relationship with. Um, I mean, heck, we're talking to Cross. uh, He hadn't even – or his parents had not even spoken to the Penn State staff. So this was obviously a rough decision. Now, all of a sudden – you're on their radar as a guy that wants in and they know that and they like you and they want to take your talent and everything like that. But there's some vetting that needs to be done. There's some conversations that need to be had. And it seems like they've had those conversations in the last week. He's set to announce on Tuesday, it's Penn State or Wisconsin. I think it's Penn State. I think the crystal ball is going to move Penn State's way. And and I think Penn State is going to have their first commit, but it's just a a really interesting scenario that I don't think they, they realized how interested he was based off the, the limited conversations that they had since then it's been put out there. You can get to know somebody a little bit better, get to know their family, talk to the coach a little bit more about what to expect and, and sort of you, you can go a long way in a week. I mean, you're not going to learn everything about the the other side in a week, but at the same time, this is a kid that's, that's committing without visiting and without really even talking to the entire staff. So, you can learn about uh, both sides a lot in a week, and this kid obviously wants to, to get a decision in. Um, whether he plays football or not, this this fall is still up in the air. And I think he just wants to lock into a spot, and that's a something we'll get to in, in, in our first mailbag question down the road. But, uh, yeah, this is something that we're – I mean, it, is it unprecedented? Not exactly. I mean, th- this staff has had kids uh, try to commit without even talking to them first. Now, that that was when they were at Vanderbilt. Um, but, no, it's it's been – It's been that kind of what four months or four and a half months or whatever it's been. So nothing really surprising, but you know, this, this might be the trend that we start
1: seeing where 2022 kids want to lock in their own spot. Your crystal ball pick is in my crystal ball pick is in. We've got seven out of 10 on the confidence meter probably could go higher than that. And in fact, Evan flood from our Wisconsin site did go higher than that. He picked Penn state with an eight out of 10 confidence. So that shows you uh, from the badger side of, uh, of things where, where this thing seems to be trending for a kid out of Milwaukee. Um, so this would be a notable pickup for Penn State to start off their 2022 class because we're talking about another top 10 tight end target. Uh, it's continuing that tradition that Penn State has done. We'll see what they do with the position in 2021, but they have been racking up the blue chips there. But a kid who's already weighing, uh, measuring in at six foot six, got the frame to fill out. He's pushing 220 right now halfway through high school. And, and again, you're going into to, uh, rival Big Ten territory to bring in uh, a player like this. Uh, yeah circumstances are strange but you like the talent in place there's a reason why Penn State uh, pursued him this early and and it sounds like they'll be willing to to open the door in this class we'll find that out Tuesday Uh, when we do we'll have coverage on lines 24-7 and uh, maybe you do find that first component of the 2022 class let's remember 2023 already found their first guy with Mega Barnwell Uh, a little bit earlier. Sean, that leads us right into the mailbag, and and as you referenced, we've got a question uh, regarding the 2022 class. Uh, Here's the question. I know that the 2021 cycle is far from over, but I want to turn some attention to 2022. As with this cycle, it seems like some of the top 2022 prospects in the 24-7 sports rankings are ready to commit to schools that they might not have ever been to, like Cross. At this point, how many of the 2022 prospects that committed do you see keeping that commitment? And is Penn State already behind the eight ball without having a 2022 commitment yet?
2: I mean, it, it's going to come down to a case by case basis. I I think they're going to kind of wait out. I, I don't see a, like a flood of commitments in 2022 and even the ones that do and even cross. I mean, you can't guarantee that he's going to stick if, you know, if he picks Penn State next week. Um, it, it's going to be a situation where they're going to wait out this dead period. And, you know, they sort of they still have a cycle intact. I mean, you can still sort of start in January. And, and you know, if it comes to that, you start in January and start taking the, these visits again. So I don't know that there's these guys that are on the cusp of making uh, informed decisions. I think there's guys that are on the that that have been sort of sitting at home for a while, seeing the attention on the 2021 kids and gaining that attention on 2022 kids. Because really, there's not a ton to talk about besides recruiting. So I think that that has sort of played into it. Guys maybe think they're further along in the process than they are. We're gonna see some guys that that think they're ready to make a decision, then back off on that decision, sort of tap the brakes. Um, I mean. Do, I don't see these early commitments, uh, you know, and now some of these guys will be Guys that were going to this school to begin with. I mean, the, you know, you look at the commitment list, especially for you know a school like Ohio State, where they've got commitments from some of the top players from Ohio in 2022 already. Those guys were going to go there anyway. That kind of makes sense. You got to figure out who those guys are for Penn State. Figure out if you're, you know, if you're going to, um, you know, use that spot, take them right now, and, and figure that out. Especially, and here's here's the thing that's interesting to me about 2022. For a lot of these guys, you know, in Virginia and some other spots aren't going to have high school football this season. So you're missing evaluation points. You're still evaluating on, you know, their sophomore tape. You're still evaluating on their sophomore camp performances. Maybe some snippets that you see online. Maybe if they do the, the uh, you know, the the virtual combine for Penn State, maybe they, you know, get into some of these camps that are popping up that um, we're kind of staying away from. Uh, it's Very interesting from an evaluation standpoint with this 2022 class because you got to sort of take your information that was, you know, sometimes outdated and go on that. And sometimes that's good. Sometimes that's bad. Guys peak at different times. We've seen guys that have come onto the radar. I think of a guy like, uh, you know, Jordan Houston, who's at NC State right now. Penn State was his first offer as a running back, as a freshman. And by the time his, you know, late in his junior season, going into his senior season – they weren't even in the picture. They weren't even pursuing. So you've got guys like that that, you know, sort of get onto the radar early. And then all of a sudden, you know, maybe they're not the prospect you thought they were. Um, there's a lot of offers that go out. There's a lot of uh, situations where, you know, you you do want a guy to commit, uh, you know, if he's a no-brainer. I, I see Jerry Cross as a no-brainer at that size, moving like that. But at the same time, I mean, these uh, there's a lot of information missing from these decisions that are being made. So to answer the question, Um, I don't see a ton of those guys sticking. These guys are going to be able to visit and these guys are going to visit if they do take a 2022 kid, uh, early. Cause you know, you can take an official visit in February or excuse me, in January or March or something like that. And it doesn't move the needle as much as an official visit the next cycle. So, I mean, I, hey, I'm just going kind to of throw my hands up here in terms of what to expect <laughs> with recruiting anymore, because we're throwing logic out the window, we're doing all that kind of stuff. So yes, I do see 2022 kids making a decision. No, I mean, I don't really take those decisions as seriously, unless it's a situation where it's a no brainer for some of these kids.
1: I mean, at least with Barnwell, albeit that that early a 2023 kid. I mean, he has been to a game of Beaver Stadium. He has Bar- Barnwell's taken more visits than some 2021, right. a lot of 2021 guys that are on the radar. I mean, right. So I mean, you have that track record. I have. I, I'm going to have a hard time putting significant amount of stock into into commitments like this one that we're maybe anticipating with Cross, and it, it's not anything to do with his loyalty or anything like that it's to the fact that his horizons i would expect are really going to expand once we all move past this and, and he's able to get to some college campuses and and get new offers i mean and i and from a staff perspective yeah it, it gets a little bit scarier the longer you have to rely on things that happen as a sophomore sophomore film sophomore testing I mean, if you're still relying on that, you know, uh, 12 to 18 months later, which very well may be the situation on the recruiting trail right now, without a fall football season, that's a slippery slope. That's scary. You need to make sure you've got good intel around that prospect. Um, you know, and I would put, you know, for the record, I would put a lot more stock in, you know, say a prospect like Anthony Ivy or, or you know, one of these Pennsylvania targets that the Nittany Lions have, who, who've been to campus, who, who maybe earned their offer that way, who've. who've Who've, who've been under the eye of this Penn State staff in person and have, have attended games and you just had that feel. I think it's always important, you know, close your eyes. You're coming to this decision on where you want to go to college. Where can you visualize yourself? You know, take a moment to visualize yourself on that campus. That's hard to do if you've never been on campus. I mean, you're maybe just thinking of the, the Penn State logo and, and Saquon Barkley highlights. When You can't actually put yourself there on campus. I know virtual tours are a big help. But man, I just think again to do this halfway through high school, you know, Cross must have his reasons. Hopefully, we'll find out if if that's the move. uh, We'll find out exactly what motivated him to make this decision. But with his offer list already with with his uh ranking and rating and and physical prowess i just you know i don't feel like anyone at that age should feel pressured to get into a class um you know that's why that's what's more surprising now if he had already been to a penn State game maybe been to a camp last summer this makes a lot more sense but Again, uh, you know, like like you said, logic is slowly slipping away from the conversation in recruiting, and uh, and this is one we just have to stay tuned to. And, and in terms of being behind, that was the other part of this question. I mean, no, I, I don't. I don't think they're behind the eight ball. You know, you go back to that 2019 class, which ended up being the the highest ranked class by 24/7 that Penn State has signed um, since this site was, was established. You know, number three class nationally by 24/7 Sports. That 2019 recruiting class didn't pick up its first commitment until into these guys' junior seasons. Uh, you know, Keaton Ellis. Committed, I think September of 2018 or 2017, I should say. So that would have been, you know, the start of his junior year that, that you know, so we're already, if cross comes on board during a pandemic, you're already ahead of, of, of that rate. But I, you know, I think if you're worried about being behind the eight ball with the 2022 class right now um, I don't think that's, that's a, a glaring concern. Um, but if there's no football season, then everyone's going to be behind the eight ball.
2: Yeah, there's six teams right now, six programs with multiple commitments in the 2022 class. That's
0: not
1: a lot. That's not a lot.
2: Obviously, that can change. But, I mean, you listen to these teams. LSU's number one with five commits. Ohio State, Alabama, Oklahoma, Georgia, Auburn, yeah, programs that have a little bit of juice behind them. You know, Florida State and USC have uh, highly ranked commits, and actually Iowa does too. If Penn State picks up Jerry Cross, they'll be at number 11 just uh, in front of Michigan just based off of his composite score because all these schools just have one commitment. So I don't really think Penn State's behind the does, eight ball. Does think, Miami
1: have like eight commitments like they normally do at this I, point I in the cycle? I assume
2: they've had uh, you know, <laughs> six future six, decommits. Yeah, six future <laughs> commit. By the way, I don't know if you saw that uh, this weekend. James Williams, that's a big pickup for them. Yeah. Uh, over Georgia and now, uh, eight D commitments, four of them have recommitted to Miami because there's nothing like South Florida recruiting. It's, it's, uh, in a, in a map of its own. I think number, I think it tweeted out number 53 nationally is their D commitment class. And that's ahead of Duke and Syracuse's, uh, actual classes in the ACC. So that's, uh, Boy, if you if you think, you know, you're white knuckling when it comes to Penn State recruiting, uh, Miami recruiting is is in its own world. And every Florida on top single of
1: that. Yeah. year, it's like that with the Miami Hurricanes. It's it's, it's remarkable. Doesn't matter who the coaching staff is um, putting the spotlight back on Penn State for our second mailback question here, Sean. Uh, and this will do it for the show in this next draft class for the twenty twenty one NFL draft. Where does Penn State stand? The question is, can Penn State put a few players in the first four rounds, setting the over-under at three and a half? And I like the over there, just, just on first glance. In, in four rounds, though, that's tough because you look
2: at what you know. We, we typically overrate Penn State prospects because we, of course, we see them. I mean, that's what we do. And when it comes to the draft, I mean, that's uh, you know, sort of. We're we're usually pretty close, but at the same time, we think eh, maybe they should have gone higher. Maybe Chris Godwin should have gone higher. You know, things like that. Maybe Nick um,
1: Bauer should have gone second round, yeah, or, or gone at all, yeah.
2: <laughs> and uh, we are uh, usually, you know, sometimes we're right on that, and sometimes it's uh, it's a little bit of optimism. But you know, you set the over under at three and a half, and and you look at, you know, you get to three pretty easily with Micah Parsons, Pat Fairmuth, and Journey Brown, and then you go from there and you're like, okay, these guys, you know, for, for being a fourth fourth round pick and above is, is really good. Um, there's some great players that go late in the draft. So we'll see. I mean, I think that if you look at what's eligible this year, regardless in terms of guys that are seniors, uh, Tariq Castro-Fields is out there, which it's all going to depend on his season. Lamont Wade's out there. Shaka Tony's out there. Will Fries, Antonio Shelton, Shane Simmons, all these guys in the two deep. Um, but it's it, I don't really see any of those guys being the guy that you know, can sneak into that that area, that that top four. Michael Mennett is maybe. I mean, you just look at him. I don't think that he's going to. You know, just. Wow! Anybody physically? I think he athletically. He's going to do well. He's going to test well. Um, but you look at him, and you just wonder if he's going to be, you know, a guy that's, uh, you know, worth taking in the top four rounds. I do think he's a draftable prospect, especially at center um, and guard. Jaquan Brisker is a guy that.
1: That's the name that I thought you were going there earlier, Sean. Yeah, well, I I'm, thought I'm, you were going there. Earlier. I,
2: I had to clear out the guys that I just, you know, <laughs> just some of these guys don't really, you know, they're, they're measurables and things like that don't really project to that sort of uh, projection. As as I stomp all over my own words, um, but Brisker is a guy. You know the the intrigue is there. The uh, athletic ability is there. We saw him make the Freaks list this week by uh, by Bruce Feldman, which you know kind of a surprise inclusion when you think about. Uh, you know, four of the top fifty guys on that list are Penn State players. Uh, Brisker, we know, is a, is a r- ridiculous athlete, but at the same time, you know, he's not really a, a household name or anything like that for his feats of strength and testing numbers and everything like that. So. Um, it's, uh, he's a guy that I definitely could see if, you know, if he puts together a really good year on tape and he has the athletic testing numbers to back him up, I think that that's a, a legitimate guy that you could throw in there. Now, the, the thing that would sort of upset it for me and send it over would, would be one of those third year sophomores or true juniors that, that decided that it was time to go. And the two that stick out to me right away, Jason O'Way and Rashid Walker are, you know, guys that. I think our top half of the draft talents. Whether that happens from a timing standpoint, I think that's uh, certainly you know still very much up in the air. Those guys need more tape to get out there. They need more uh, sort of refinement to their games, and you know you can th- probably throw PJ Mustafer in that category as well as a true junior. So I think those are the guys that tip it. I'm going to go under just because you know I'm, I'm the house pessimist here, um, and I don't know really which way away or Walker could do it. I mean, if they go, it certainly could go over pretty
1: quickly. Uh, so if the draft was held today, I think it's a pretty safe bet that you'd see Parsons and Fryermouth off in the first round. Running back's always tricky because it seems to be a position that gets pushed down the board, particularly in the first round. So you think Journey Brown, probably a safe bet to come off by the end of the second round at this stage. Um, and, and then where else does it fallen? I think Brisker and, and uh, Tariq Castro Fields are the two that I look to next up. Castro fields going into last season, you know, you were, you were hearing some, some early round buzz with him and, and, and certainly the injury and his stock slipped toward the second half of that season. But here, Terry Smith talks, he f- truly feels like three Castro fields has the goods to be the first, first round cornerback out of Penn state. I don't know if it gets to that point. That's a pretty loaded position in college football, but I think those two in the first four rounds, very viable. And then, yeah, the younger guys must've the one that, that I, I was thinking about as well with Walker and O A. Way. Um, and and I maybe even think Mustafa has the best shot. I, I we'll we'll see. But uh you know, last time this happened, 2018, don't have to look that long before. Saquon Barkley, Mike Kosicki, Deshaun Hamilton, program record setters. The fourth one, you should know this one well, Sean. Troy Apke. Troy Apke. Yeah, so there we who go. is there maybe a guy that's way off the radar? that we're not even talking about that, that somehow thrusts himself into that top group. That's also possible because of all those variables I just talked about, the young talent from the recruiting classes uh, of 2018. And you're going to see these recruiting classes translate to draft classes. Now that young talent, the established guys we've already discussed and, and, and just the, the, Potential wild card. I think it'll add up to 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 get the over on three and a half for for first four round picks in the twenty twenty one draft process.
2: Yeah, I mean it's certainly possible. I think it's I think that's a like if you're setting the over under, that's right on the nose of where you want it to be, and
1: that's a nice job. Yeah,
2: yeah, and uh, those two defensive backs could could factor into that. I mean, we've seen um, you know some some athletic guys that haven't had the tape go. I mean, Christian Campbell went in the sixth round, which, you know, is a couple rounds off, but it's still really not that far off. And and Tariq Castro Fields has probably put up better tape and has the opportunity to do so once again this year. Um, I don't know that he's the genuine, like, I mean, Christian Campbell was like, what, a 10-10 broad or something like that. I mean, just a, a drafted off of his freak measurables. Um, but, you know, he's he's got a shot to be in there. I mean, I think it's going to be a you know a, a fairly popular draft for for Penn State players next year. Um, heavy at the top, uh, undoubtedly, but there's some quality guys. I mean, all those guys that I mentioned, uh, maybe probably not Fries or, or Simmons, but all those guys that I mentioned, you know, certainly have a chance to uh, to hear their name called. So we will see what happens with those guys. Um, it's going to be uh, very interesting to track, especially when you figure out what they can put on tape from this year, and that's going to be a big part for. Uh, Castro fields for brisker for, for Shaka Tony, for those guys. So I think it's going to be uh, really interesting to follow because it,
1: it can be a very good draft ca- class for Penn state. I will say, I feel pretty, pretty comfortable thinking that there will be more players drafted than what we saw this spring, five players off the board in total rounds, one through seven in 2020. I mean, you feel, you feel like that's going to be surpassed. I mean, we're talking about all the way through round seven, you think they can get six guys off the board or more? I mean, I think that's a, a fairly safe bet. Yeah, I don't, I don't know
2: about fairly safe bet, but yeah, I think it's going to happen. I mean, it's uh, you look at all the guys that they have eligible, plus the guys that you know you don't want to think as eligible because you want to keep them here as long as you can, and that's certainly certainly a good possibility.
1: Uh, we'll find out. Uh, three of those players who who came off the board in twenty twenty. Um, uh, were of senior eligibility. We'll see if we see more underclassmen declaring like Ytor Grossmanos, like KJ Hamler, uh, Saquon Barkley before that, Miles Sanders. So as this recruiting talent uh, amplifies for Penn State, again, you're expecting that the draft classes to maybe have uh, more star material heading into the NFL. That's going to do it for this episode. Uh, Sean, anything else to add before we step aside for the weekend? Again, recording on a Thursday. So if something big broke on Friday and we didn't get to it, Please forgive us. We'll, we'll talk about it early next week. Miami has no commitments in
2: 2022, nor does God. it have any decommitments <laughs> so far. So that is your upset of the week in
1: terms of this episode. Uh, yeah, it's uh, it was a shock to me as well. And all the strange circumstances we discussed on this episode, that may be the strangest, uh, what you just said. Uh, stay with us on lines247.com. We'll bring you the latest on Nittany Lions football and recruiting. Drop your five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts uh, to, to give us some feedback and also to serve up your mail-back question. It could be featured on the next episode. Listen to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Stitcher. Uh, for now, we'll step aside. Thank you, as always, for listening to the Lions 24-7 Podcast.